0: Allow me to reintroduce myself, I'm Gervier Bra, I'm here with a proper Giza, Chumak and we are screen off script. This week we're finally getting into Season 2, Episode 4 of The Mandalorian, we're going to reflect on the episode and all its highlights, we're also going to the hottest news items of the week. Folks, this is the way. Jonathan, we're back. We're finally in lockdown.
1: Does this lockdown worry you as much as the first one? It doesn't worry me as much. I guess I, I'm, I'm used to it. I work from home. You know, it is what it is. Kind of just crack on with things. I do, I am a little bit concerned and I do worry about some people out there that live by themselves, deal with depression, mental health issues, especially during the winter this lockdown could be a little bit harsher on them yeah. obviously the first time around it was sunny outside it was warm you can get out go for a walk it's already started to snow this is going to be 28 days which is pretty much the end of 2020 before there's any glimmer of hope of you know being able to kind of go out you know as normal so yeah personally I'm fine with it. It sucks. It is what it is. But yeah, I'm more concerned about other people out there. Yeah, I feel you. It does feel a little different this time because
0: it's like almost we we've been through it one time. Right. And like it's like we know what's gonna happen through this next one. Gotcha, yeah. So I, I don't know, I feel a little bit more mentally prepared. Yep. And personally I feel a little bit like in the summer it was like, Oh man, I have major FOMO. Right. But this time it's winter, it's like all right, I'm gonna stay inside anyways. Yeah, that's it feels what, a little it, different. That's yeah. what you do
1: in the winter, right? Yeah. You, yeah, exactly. you jam at home, watch T V and movies and you know, it's Christmas time and you know, that's what you do during yeah, the winter. You don't up, really go out as much. Yeah, you're hanging out with your family anyways. Exactly. Yeah.
0: The tale of the tape for this week is it's chapter 12, The Siege. And so far on Rotten Tomatoes, we got 94%. And also on IMDb, we got 8.6, directed by Carl Weathers.
1: Out of a score of five, how many stars are you giving this episode? A solid four. I'll give this a solid four. Maybe even creeping towards a 4.5, but a definitely a solid four for this okay. one. Okay. So even last week, I think you gave, what, 4.5? I think last week, I gave, whatever I gave last week, I'd give this week for this episode. Because okay, I cool. think these two were on par with each other and the best episodes of the season so far. Okay, cool. Let's go into the recap. Yeah, absolutely. And just for people that have been obviously listening uh, week in, week out, uh, a slight rejig of the format. This time, I'm literally just going to run through in one shot, in one take, exactly what happens in this episode. Because I feel like... That'll open up the majority of this week's show and the show moving forward for us to have what I guess people actually enjoy, which is you and me going back and forth talking about the episode. So that's how it's going to be. Hopefully you guys dig it, and and of course you know if you're listening to this podcast, you would have watched the episode anyway. So the quicker we can get through the actual nitty gritty details of the recap, the better. Right. So this week, Mando and the child, they are on their way to Navarro. Because after the Mon Calamari repaired their ship, it proved to be a little bit inadequate. So they're still going through some issues, um, still need some repairs. They end up in Navarro, they reunite with Grief Kaga and Kara Dune, who have since turned the planet around. Kara has become the local marshal, Grief has taken on the role of magistrate, and they are assisted by the yet unnamed Mithril. So, In return for the repairs, Mando agrees to help them destroy an old Imperial base which is on the other side of the planet. The child is placed in a brand new school and endeavours to steal macaron treats from a nearby student. The base turns out to have more than just a skeleton crew and stormtroopers patrol the corridors. They end up deactivating the lava cooling system so that the natural lava flows will destroy the base. During their escape they find scientists and vats of what appear to be cloned bodies. The scientists attempt to destroy the evidence. Mithral uncovers a recording from our old friend Dr. Pershing from season one in a hologram form and reveals that he has actually been transfusing the blood of the child, which has high M-count, into test subjects. Stormtroopers soon swarm the team and they are forced to escape before the lava overheats and destroys the base. Mando flies from the base to retrieve his ship using his jetpack, while Karga, Dune and Mithral, they steal a stormtrooper transport. A chase ensues between the transport driven by Dune and speeder bikes manned by the scout troopers. Grief Carga kills the last scout trooper but then out of nowhere TIE fighters launched from the base start to chase them disabling the transporter's cannon. The base explodes due to the overheating of the lava and as the TIE fighters close in on Dune, Kaga and Mithral out of the blue, the Razor Crest appears and destroys the Imperials. With his ship now repaired and Navarro secured, Mando heads to Corvus to track down Ahsoka Tano. The New Republic visit Karga to investigate the incident, with Captain Carson Teva noting, Something is brewing and we need to stop it. Teva speaks with Dune, who tries to ask her for help in fighting the remnants of the Empire. When Aldran, Dune's homeworld, is mentioned, she tells Tether that she lost everything after its destruction. An Imperial officer receives information from one of the mechanics working for Grief Carga that a tracking beacon has been placed on the Razorcrest. Moff Gideon is informed and declares that they will be ready. So there it is. A short, quick, nitty-gritty recap of this week's episode. Your initial reactions to what we just saw for me uh i love this episode number
0: one they keep stepping it up i love the progression of the season and i love all the new storylines that they keep setting up what did you think of it
1: yeah i i think going on from what we talked about last week my biggest fear or concern was look we're creeping into the halfway point of the season this is episode four i need to see Kara. i need to see grief and i would like to see moff gideon now we got moff gideon last week it was through hologram form, mm-hmm. but just to kind of bring back the other major key characters from season one properly in live action and actually integrate them into this episode was fantastic, a long time coming. And what is interesting to me now is, is this the last we've seen of Grief and Kara for this season? Was yeah. this their one appearance from this season? We know Moff Gideon is the big bad, so he's going to be a reoccurring character because he is the main villain of this show right now. And so I expect to see him in the forthcoming episodes. With Grief and Kara, the the jury is out. I'm still not sure if we're going to see them much more this season.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought about if we're going to see them again, but you're right. The story doesn't really require them anymore at this point. Uh, So since we're halfway through the season, what
1: are your overall thoughts so far? Overall, I'm really happy. I'm really happy. Um, Very few low points. I think the only kind of, I guess, um, low light, if anything, was that episode with uh, the Frog Lady. Uh, but apart from Which that... Which I still love. You, fair, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but for me, I think um, we've got new characters. Just the scale, the overall scale of the production, the special effects, the action that we've seen, the set pieces has been, honestly, it's been like movie level stuff. And all of the new characters, apart from Frog Lady, uh, that have been introduced to the show this season, I love. I love everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm in for the long haul if they're going to be a reoccurring characters on The Mandalorian or if we're going to see more of them on spin-offs. The crazy thing about that is like, even last season when we did the
0: primer, we were talking about how they had that huge budget and they set up the volume, essentially like the, the replacement for CGI in this whole universe that they've been creating. Yeah. Now they have that budget and they've been showing it every single week. Yep. Also this week we had the director was uh, Carl Weathers So what were your initial impressions from a directorial perspective for him?
1: Yeah, I thought he did a good job. And I think for the most part, when it comes to TV shows like this, it's less so about the directors. It's more so about the script and the Mm showrunners who are kind of, I guess, babying the entire season. And it's, I guess, kind of hard for a director to come in and really lay an egg uh, for the most part. So Carl Weathers comes in, I think he does the job. Right, he delivers what's on the script. He delivers what's on the on the page, and he's obviously got some incredible cinematographers and special effects guys and everybody else behind the scenes. But I just think it's cool more than anything else that they're allowing uh, the actors to actually participate and direct episodes. It happens more often on TV shows than it does, say, for example, in movies, because movies, there's a uh, larger budget, larger expectations, and longer shooting schedules. But for shows that are like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, allowing them to jump in and direct, I think it's a good move, and I think Carl did a great job here. I think with the eighty sensibilities that they've kind of been bringing back into this
0: series, like what we saw in the original trilogy, that's where he kind of shined for me. He like had like those little quirky moments, like them falling down the cliff and them all screaming and then we get that little shot. Just little stuff like that. Like, I love those shots because it really helps give that Star Wars feel to this whole
1: project. All right, before we dive in, any quick observations you want to make that you want to kind of get of that way? There was one thing that I made a note of as we were watching the show today, and this, is, this was my second time watching it. The C-3PO-type droid as the teacher I thought was an, a great little bit of fan service this week. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really seen too many other characters of that same model the C-3PO during the overall Star Wars I guess cinematic universe I love how he was bronze too so they don't confuse us with our golden C-3PO <laughs> exactly right so you know a little bit same same but a little bit different right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I, th- I thought that th- that's a nice touch just to like you know again flesh out this world that yeah a lot of these androids are literally coming off a conveyor belt and although we love a character like C-3PO there are like a million others that are like him out there yeah. in the Wars universe for me, the first thing I noticed was I've never been so sure that someone
0: could beat me up more than when I saw Cara Dune in this episode. <laughs> like she's absolutely yoked. Also, the opening scene was awesome. I love Baby Yoda trying to repair the ship right. and Mando kind of giving him that direction. It's like a low-key scene for Star Wars, which is like a nice little break. But at the same time, it kind of shows us how close they are and the kind of bond they're building right. for the inevitable boom like inevitable doom that's about to happen down the line. Yeah. Also, it's interesting that we have macarons in the Star Wars universe, which is kind of cool, like with Baby Yoda stealing from that kid. And I also love that Baby Yoda uses the Force exactly how I, I do when I'm like on my bed and I just want my phone and I want to get up. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Also, the last thing, it was also cool to see a Force ghost in like that crossover in different universe in the WWE where we saw Paul Bearer just appear as a Force Ghost tip The Undertaker's
1: Farewell. That's right. I thought that was a nice little crossover too. That was brilliant. (laughs) Um, There was one thing that I also noted, and this is more towards the the end of this week's episode, Mm -hmm. and we got a bit of world building and also a little bit of an explanation where with regards to the galaxy, you have kind of the core worlds and then you have the Outer Rim, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of tells you that where The Mandalorian takes place, which is on the Outer Rim for the most part, that's where things are a little bit more sketchy that's where uh, you know the new republic are having a hard time controlling things you know since the fallout of what happens essentially uh, in return of the jedi so that's where i guess the remnants of the of the empire are kind of you know getting together in their kind of batches and you know trying to you know get things together to you know what ultimately becomes um, the new order down the road yeah. at some point uh, but I thought that was a nice little touch just to kind of help you visualize you know you know, there are core worlds mm-hmm. where things are hunky-dory think everyone's kind of you know happy and the empire is no longer in control but then there's the outer rim and that's where it's a little bit like the wild west
0: yeah it would, I think that's great and also if you notice in the C2PO a little bit with uh, him teaching the class he's actually going through a whole instruction and explaining different areas Yep. in the outer rim and the core and all that kind of stuff so it's cool that they're Almost like teaching us in
1: the background while they're doing that too. So there was actually that, that's actually a good point because then there's like actually two references in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they made a point to drive that message home with these two scenes. You're right. Let's go into it. What were your initial thoughts when you saw the clone lab? Before the end, before we found out a little bit more about it, initially, what were your initial impressions? So I see the clone lab and I'm thinking to myself, okay... How did they work this into the script? Was this always something they thought about prior to getting season one off the ground? Mm-hmm. Is this been their long-term plan to, to weave this in? Because I kind of feel like they made the season the first season post Rise of Skywalker, right? Yeah. And so Rise of Skywalker, it's all about clone technology. Yes. More so than ever. More so than the clone wars. Even though cloning technology has been rampant in Star Wars storylines in the past. It really was the key element to the Rise of Skywalker. You see multiple versions of Snoke. You see, you know, why the Emperor is back in whatever shape he was back. So, did they? Kind of. These are these are open questions. Did they think to themselves, or Jean Favreau specifically, when he's writing the script, we can now start to do a bit of work back. We can start to plant the seeds to what you eventually see in the new trilogy, what you see in Rise of Skywalker by showing you the early experimentation of cloning and using you know the m count from four sensitive you know beings across the universe and things like that Mm -hmm. so that's what i was thinking did i enjoy it did i not enjoy it i thought it was interesting but it didn't really kind of i guess have a major impact on me uh and, and and personally i don't i hope that this isn't a a major key part of the Mandalorian storyline moving forward if that's all they wanted to do was just kind of like give you a little early sneak peek with regards to hey you know this is where things are going to be heading 20 years down the line when we get to Rise of Skywalker cool I'm fine with it if it's going to be an integral part of the Mandalorian story this season and season three I don't know how I'm going to feel about that I actually have a different take on that for me
0: like I definitely did think of Snoke almost right away right but like the twist from going from an Imperial base to being a lab. I thought that was crazy. And also I was thinking, okay, at this point, it feels like it's apparent that Moff Gideon is not force sensitive, but he's using resources to capture beings that are force sensitive. And obviously we have no idea at the time, but initially I was even thinking, okay, if they're talking about blood transfusions and failed experiments and all that kind of stuff, I'm thinking, is this guy trying to, is he some sort of mad scientist he's trying to take uh, beings that are force sensitive and maybe take their abilities is he's trying to become force sensitive at that right. point because he already has essentially a jedi lightsaber or an ex-jedi lightsaber is he trying to gain these abilities at that time and i, I don't know like my brain's kind of going crazy at this point before we know everything down the line and we'll get into that in just a second but uh you already mentioned like we talked about m counts and obviously that's a re- like a reference to midichlorians from the prequels uh you mentioned you're not a huge fan of that but I like that the show doesn't shy away from discussing the prequels. Beyond like with the miniclorians and also the prequels, what would you like to see them explore from that avenue?
1: Let me be clear. I'm not the biggest fan of the clone. Okay, okay. Storyline moving forward. Like, yeah, if they if they reference it, again, with a with a view of what happens in Rise of Skywalker. No problem at all. If it's a major storyline, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about that. Then now the Metaclorians, the M count, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Like exploring more of what we have already been given in terms of information from the prequels and the other movies, I'm down to explore that a lot more, especially with different force-sensitive beings across the universe. And I love the idea and the theory that you just put forward. If Moff Gideon is gonna be kind of like you know his own version of Frankenstein's monster, yeah, where he's taking like a saber and you know. DNA from Force-sensitive uh, beings, the M count, and trying to become Force-sensitive himself—that's incredible, and that's brand new. Mm-hmm. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome to see that play out, actually. For me, it's also it's cool to see that they're exploring the idea of
0: midichlorians again, and also they're almost rebranding because they know it has like a negative connotation among mm-hmm. the fan base. Changing it to M count kind of feels cool. Uh, even just also the other prequel stuff, like we mentioned, the C2PO thing—they reference Coruscant twice in this episode. I'm actually starting to think, like you said, I'm hoping to actually visit some of these worlds.
1: Looks like someone could use some repairs. How's my credit around here?
0: Alright so next we got into the returns of Gina Carano as Kara Dune and Carl Weathers as Grief Karga. What did you think of them in this episode? And where do you think we're going with them?
1: That's a great question. Like I said, it kind of felt like this was their the one stint. Again, we saw what happened in Season 1 where they re- returned during the, the season, uh, Episode 7 and 8. They came back for that big final battle. Whereas this time around, it feels like, all right, Mando's checked in with them, mm-hmm. done a side mission. They seem to be okay on Navarro. They're, they're the marshal and the magistrate and they're handling business there and everyone there seems to be in a much better and happier place. Mando's off. He's going to find a Tano and we're going to see what happens there. Um, if I'm a betting man, I think we probably will see them return but I'm now thinking there probably won't be The reoccurring characters across Mandalorian that are first expected Mm -hmm. because we're in season uh, episode four where we finally get an appearance from them. I thought they were great, great to check in with them, but I'm now curious in terms of moving forward how much we'll see them.
0: Yeah, uh, I actually, I'd like to talk about them separately. Like Grief, I, I love his character. I think it's cool that he doesn't care about being good or bad, he's still interested in money most of all. Like his whole mission is to get rid of the Imperial base. So that his planet can become the trade hub so he can make more money. Right. So he's consistent, right? We, we, we know who he is. Kara, we just learned that she's from Alderaan, which is a cool new piece of information we just got. Especially because Leia kind of grew up there. And uh, it's the first planet we also see that was destroyed by the Death Star. Yep. And also at the end of the episode, we saw the pilots kind of... The from the ones that we saw from the previous episodes, they're talking to Kara. And they're talking about how, you know, we'd like you to join us in the New Republic. And there's so much going on in this area, and the Outer Rim, that we're really not aware of. And for me, it kind of seems like this sets up a spinoff almost perfectly. Yeah. Right? Like, it gives us a whole new world to explore. There's the conflict of her being an ex-shock trooper. And who knows? Like, maybe they don't trust her in that kind of situation. It gets a whole different side of the story from what Mando's going through, Bo-Katan, Boba Fett, all the other uh, spinoffs. Even Ahsoka, like the potential spinoffs that we know about so far. Uh, so it'd be like a whole new series that could kind of lead into that whole Avengers
1: super show that we're going to see down the line. Well, this is why I don't think we're going to see much of them on The Mandalorian anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like th- there's a big announcement coming from Disney on December 10th, yeah. where they're basically going to showcase what they have you know, in store and in plans for 2021. A Cara Dune spinoff has been talked about since season one mm-hmm. to explore her journey. And it could be a limited series. It could be three or four or five episodes, something like that, which is why I'm thinking... Are they going to potentially save her now? Like yeah. that's it. We've 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 kind of set things up. You've kind of like you know planted a few seeds with regards to her background, and she's obviously got a bit of conflict. You're right. Grief's chilling. He's got exactly what he wanted. Yeah. In terms of the, this potentially being a trade hub, this is his planet. He loves his planet. Cara Dunes just got there like five minutes ago. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um. So maybe her you know overall character arc hasn't been completed yet, and maybe she won't get. Um, you know get to come full circle until she actually joins you know the new republic and you know helps them on the world where they need help basically yeah
0: it already feels like on navarro that her job's done yeah because they've already they literally took out the last bastion of the empire on that planet exactly so it kind of leads us to being that whole spin off for her yep also it'd be interesting to kind of explore why she left the the republic in the first place because mm. she was a shock trooper you know they're like mercenaries or whatever, and they're hunting down warlords, but she left for whatever reason. Yeah. Also, a little tidbit I noticed while we were rewatching it today. Mm-hmm. She has a little tattoo of the New Republic
1: symbol right on her face. Okay, so did you know that that's actually a birthmark? Who's? She, Gina Carano has to wear makeup, and uh-huh. a lot of people don't know this because when if you see any kind of publicity shots of her, um, and it's something that I didn't actually know until for a very long time, and I'll, obviously I've been covering mixed martial arts you know, for over a decade now. Yeah. She has a birthmark right next to her eye, her left eye. Yeah. And she covers it up with makeup. I thought you were saying that's Cara Dune's <laughs> birthmark or something. That's crazy. Gina actually has Gina actually has a, a birthmark and I think she's talked about it a few times. Okay. Um. So it looks like, you know, from what you saw, you may have interpreted it in a completely different it way. It looks exactly like the New Republic symbol. Well, it's definitely a birthmark. That's maybe, crazy. Maybe they've kind of tweaked it with a, with a bit of makeup to mm. kind of almost make it I guess, easier to work with her as an actress on the show where she doesn't have to worry about the birthmark being there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a birthmark. I thought it was like the perfect placement for like a teardrop tattoo. Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> so it kind of works out really well. Yeah. Uh just as a change of pace, we also see the return of Horatio Sands as Mithril, the blue alien from the first episode in the series. what do you think of his return?
1: Yeah, great. He's fun, right? And yeah. I think it's good to have a mix, a nice balance of yeah, serious characters, you know, you know, guys that are good at action. And this guy, obviously, he's he's a wimp. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of brought along on this side mission, you know, against his as well pretty much and it's like grief cog is like i'll just knock off 30 years over your, or from your 250 year sentence yeah, that you yeah. serve me right but i think it's cool to have a character that we saw in season one come back why not i love it when we can have characters you know reoccur every season it doesn't have to be a big role yeah. but it's someone we've already invested a little bit of time into and why not bring them back it's that nice connective tissue yeah uh,
0: i think he's hilarious i love his character i feel like he brings like a different element to the show like you said he also, like, kind of fits that C-3PO role where something serious will be happening and he's just kind of like the idiot just running around in the background. Uh, also, my favorite moment with him in this episode is when he sees Mando for the first time and he lets out that gas. It's like he, like, basically shits himself. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and finally, we see the last huge return of this episode was the Moff Gideon in the flesh. The tracking beacon has been installed on the Razor Crest. Does he still have the asset? Yes, our source confirmed it. And we will be ready. So,
1: what are your impressions of him and the plan he's carrying out? Dude, this is the moment that I popped, I think, the most. The last 10-15 minutes of the, of the episode, the action is just incredible. Mm. It's fantastic. But... Just seeing the doors open and seeing Moff Gideon turn around and delivering that line that we'll be ready. Yeah. He looks cool as hell. He, really he looks menacing. He looks evil. He just looks like a big bad, awesome villain. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm really down to see the Moff Gideon you know, character now be a more of a reoccurring character in further episodes. We just got a hologram last week. He's back proper in this episode. I want more Moff Gideon.
0: Honestly they couldn't have casted anybody better than Giancarlo Esposito. Like, he's so tremendous in this series. Like, who would have thought that he would have fit so perfectly? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But uh, the first thing I, like, with Mando and the company carrying out, uh, or sorry, finding out that Moff Gideon actually survived the explosion, I have a few questions for that. Uh, Why didn't Moff Gideon ever come back and just blow up Navarro? Right? Like, you Like, that's the last place that we saw the asset, and also Mando. So I want to kind of know where that's going. And uh, like that would be the first place I would look, first of all. And the planet is basically thriving in spite of him. So wouldn't you want to, like, show your dominance as,
1: like, this
0: series' Vader
1: in this kind of situation, how ruthless bright. you are? I kind of feel like he's operating under the radar a little mm. bit. He's a little bit sneaky, although I will say, the, the shot that we get of Moff Gideon right at the end of the episode he's on like a star destroyer or, or, or one of the the really big iconic empire level ships that we see and have seen in the movies that's the first time we've seen one of the empire-esque battleships proper big big ships and he's got one of those bad boys and to see like you know all the other you know um i guess uh, people that work on the ship with their kind of Nazi outfits <laughs> and seeing Moff Gideon it, it gave me so many i guess uh, memories of Darth Vader being on a ship. There's there just so many similarities between Moff Gideon and Darth Vader, but it's it's so far apart that it's it's acceptable if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very intentional. Like the outfits, the same, even the shots, the way the uh, the ship came in overhead. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost exactly like a shot you would have seen in. I don't know like any of the original trilogy movies
1: literally the very first shot in a new hope is yeah like a star destroyer just like you know and again they did that just to show you the scale of how big this ship was and that's a, pretty much a like for like shot exactly. that we get prior to the reveal of moff gideon being on there
0: yeah and now that we see moff gideon he's surrounded by this whole new set of troopers that we've never seen before in a star wars show or movie uh first off now we know that these are dark troopers we also now know that moff gideon wanted the child to perfect his experiments to create these dark troopers so first off what are your thoughts on the troopers and where do you see that whole thing going
1: yeah it's wild man uh and i think this is the the beauty of a tv show versus a movie right whereas i think when they kind of had the sequels they had stormtroopers which everyone was familiar with yeah it's like the movies you know especially the new sequels we got over like the last seven or eight years it was generational so like anybody that remembers watching the original star wars movies they kind of want to remind them hey we have lightsabers we have stormtroopers and it's still the skywalker saga so it's yeah. connective tissue like you mentioned whereas on a tv show like this yo we can veer off to the left and i am all for it they look cool i hope they're better sh- shots than stormtroopers and <laughs> scout um which they've obviously made some fun of in, in season one already but they look cool, they look menacing, and listen, if Moff Gideon's going to be the big bad, he needs to have a big bad army and they look cool as hell. Honestly,
0: the big thing that I... I my thoughts were, what are these things? Right. Are they clones that are, like, now Force-sensitive? Or are they, like, these super droids, like, that are going to come out by using some biotechnology or something like that? Like, we really don't know what they are yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm, like, leaning towards the idea that they're clones, but how could they not be Force-sensitive if they're using... Baby Yoda's blood. Right. Right. So, uh, and also the fact that they're named troopers. We only know that the troopers are clones so far. Yeah. Or like what we
1: saw in the sequel trilogy where they're children that were kind of indoctrinated in the order. And it's a good thing that it looks like they only have a small batch and which kind of could potentially explain why we don't see them in the movies later on because as a doctor explained, he was only able to extract a small amount of the blood from Baby Yoda. So maybe this is like the success of a very small batch of experiments where they've got like maybe a dozen or so of these troopers Um, so it's not as if he's got like a thousand ready to you know go like in attack of the clones when all the clones came right Um, so it's very very interesting to see how they're used how he uses them and what part they play in the forthcoming episodes of this season
0: the cool thing also is we already know that these dark troopers have actually existed in a Star Wars game in the past right from the 90s how 90s You could play this game on Windows or DOS. What? That's how 90s were talking. It was a game called Dark Forces from 1995. Wow. uh, Which is kind of crazy. And we, even from that game, we still don't know if they're going to be droids or clones. They were just like one of those with uh, cybernetic, like, Sith technology. Like, kind of like what Darth Vader used. And uh, the cool thing this time, you know, we got all, like, the resources from Mandalore. Are these things made of Baskar? Is that the extra slap in the face for when Mando and company get to finally get in like a situation with these guys. Great reference
1: to the 90s game because I had no idea about that. But mm-hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, this is quintessential John Favreau and Dave Filoni. They have time and time again on The Mandalorian dipped into some characters or a storyline or something that perhaps wasn't Star Wars canon before, whether it's a comic book, a novel, or a video game, or the animated series. Mm-hmm. And now they've brought elements of those uh, things into Star Wars Cinematic Universe legit on this TV show. So now they're a part of our lives. So again, this is John Favreau and Dave Filoni having some good times, man. I know like the idea of clones has been done to death
0: yeah. in Star Wars, but I feel like this is such a fresh take on it. And all jokes that we've made about Stormtroopers has kind of led to this moment. This is like their ultimate vindication. Like, we finally have badass Stormtrooper, like, super versions that are going to go and, like, be this ultimate menace among society, or among the universe. And they're all black. I just love that. The
1: whole look looks amazing. I love
0: that, too. So,
1: yeah, we're at the halfway point of the show. Where do you see us going by, like, the end of the season? I think we're going to have a coming together of everyone. I think that was what was so powerful about season one when we had all the major characters come together in, in episode 7 mm-hmm. and 8, I think by the time we get to episode 8 of season 2, we're going to have the other Mandalorians come together, head, led by Bo-Katan. We're going to have Ahsoka Tano, who we're going to meet next week, get mm-hmm. involved for sure, 100%. Moff Gideon, we know, has a tracker on the Razor Crest right now. So whether it's at, at some point during episode 5 or perhaps... At the climax of episode five, I think there's going to be a coming together where Moff Gideon has located them, and there's going to be uh, a scene, a situation, a confrontation of some sorts. So any new character uh, that we've had, um, even Carl Vanth just you know coming, getting involved in some capacity. I I forgot about him. Like already. um, I think that's the power of introducing characters in standalone episodes. Where you've invested a little time in them, you've got a little world building, you've got a little backstory. You see their relationship to Mando, and then ultimately, at the end of the season, season uh, episode seven and eight, like you said, it's like the the Star Wars version of the Avengers coming together. Yeah, and we're going to have these two groups, the good, the bad, come together. Big battle ensues, and we'll see what the fallout is. And also, I'm hoping we'll see a battle between. Ahsoka Tano and Moff Gideon using a traditional um, uh, lightsaber and a darksaber. I think that would be really
0: cool. That is gonna be crazy. Uh,
1: also, like,
0: just on a dark note, like, it's see- like we've talked about this a few times before, but like, it's so inevitable that they're gonna get Baby Yoda. Like, right. they have to at some point, right? Yeah. So, for me, like, you know, it- it- I accepted it before as like an inevitable part of the story, but now they've done such a good job of building that relationship with Mando and Baby Yoda. I'll personally be like affected by losing Baby Yoda at this point because we they've built such a gr- like they've built that relationship so well and like you said next week's gonna be well likely the Ahsoka episode. I know you mentioned a few things. The cool thing is the rumored title right now for next week is the Jedi, so it feels like it's inevitable. We kind of have to see that. Just as a quick little backstory for Ahsoka, the cool thing with her, Ahsoka was a youngling during the Clone Wars and actually went on to become. Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Right. She actually left the, Dar- the uh, Jedi Order. She ended up being around for Order 66 during the Jedi Purge. And she was also familiar with the OG Yoda, which is going to be interesting for when she finally meets the child. And also after uh, Order 66, she basically tried to keep a low profile. In the animated series, she'd pop up every now and then to kind of fight the Empire and help the rebels. Even at one point, she went and battled Darth Vader and ended up surviving. And uh, her story has a lot of gaps where we don't really know what she's been up to. So a lot of this information is kind of up for grabs. And the cool thing is all the information we know from the trailers, we've seen already. Right. There's nothing that we've seen from the trailers that hasn't already been shown. It's all in these first four episodes. So we're going fresh, just like everyone else. How excited are you to
1: meet Ahsoka and essentially see a Jedi again? I'm most interested in seeing Rosaria Dawson's performance as Ahsoka Mm Tano. Because obviously the character... Is one that Star Wars fans have loved for a very very long time wanted to see a live-action version we're finally gonna get it very very soon I'm just looking forward like you said we haven't seen any shot image picture trailer nothing about Ahsoka Tano so that introduction and we know that Dave Filoni has directed episode 5 he was the one that introduced the character in the animated series this is his project it's almost like his baby coming to life real-time and. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing Rosario because Rosario Dawson is an actor or an actress that many people are aware of. They've seen her in other movies and other TV shows, so it's not some sort of unknown playing yeah. this character. So I think the pressure is going to be on to see what kind of performance she gives.
0: And also, apparently, she's signed like a huge deal with Disney.
1: So I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, Ahsoka mm-hmm. Tano is a kind of character you want to see live on, not just perhaps. In the TV show, but maybe even future movies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even her own spin-off. We can yeah. see that too. Oh, easy, 100%. Yeah. Uh, all
0: right, let's get into Best. Uh, let's see, Best character, who you got?
1: Moff. Moff getting for me.
0: Okay, nice. For me, I feel like this whole episode was like packed with heavyweights, but I'm leaning towards Cara Dune just because of like what she did and also the potential of where they're going
1: with her. Yep. Uh, best line. Okay, so there wasn't a line that kind of jumped out to me as like, oh, that was the best line, but I did make a note of Dank Farrick. So Dank Farrick is basically you know, people in the Star Wars universe, their version of saying WTF, or right? Like, God damn it. Yeah, or <laughs> God damn it, right? And so I feel like I'm hearing Dank Farrick almost once every single episode in season two, so I'm going to know that. That's probably my best line. I had two, actually. I thought they had some crazy lines in this episode.
0: First, we had Cara Dune set up by the pilot being like, did you lose anyone? And then she just pauses and says, "I lost everyone." I right. thought that was a huge line, hit so well. Uh, second was when Moff Gideon said, "I'll be ready for them," right, which is to say that he knows that Mando has company, and essentially he's he, in the last episode we saw him working with other Mandalorians. Yep, he's ready for Bo-Katan and the uh, like her squad too. So it's about to become a war with these Mandalorians, and I'm super ready
1: for it. Uh, let's go, best scene. So. I actually had the the chase sequence listed because I just thought that was real. You know, the action was incredible, movie level stuff. But I think maybe now, perhaps I might be leaning a little bit more towards the very final scene. Okay, just the the star destroyer, the, the the big you know ship coming overhead. Love that first time we've seen that in The Mandalorian, and then just the reveal of Moff Gideon, the way he looks, the way the scene was just lit with the, all the dark troopers lined up and he looks so menacing so I, I, I think I might even just lean towards that one a little bit That's more. a dope scene. For me it was
0: it was the chase uh, just seeing everyone kind of do their part to get away was cool. Seeing Baby Yoda enjoy himself while the chase is kind of happening uh, and also how he threw up the macarons which is a kind of a nice little tidbit kind of felt like Groot in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Also Mando just being a badass pilot. I feel like it had everything it hit every
1: single note I would hope for Uh, and one thing you hope to see next week okay so we already know or we're fairly confident we're going to see ahsoka tano next week i would love to see what her lightsaber looks like what color it is what it looks like is it different from other jedi um, lightsabers again because we've seen her with several different lightsabers even in the clone wars well you say we but again i didn't watch and a lot of people didn't watch the animated show so for me, this this experience with Ahsoka Tano, I'm, I'm so excited about because this is my first legit experience with this character from yeah. the jump. So all the background information that you just gave me, that's brand new information to me. I have not seen the animated series. I am aware of the character. I've seen what the character looks like on the animated show, but what Rosario Dawson's you know interpretation of that is going to be, her performance, what they do with regards to, is it going to be a like-for-like representation of what we've seen in the animated show? Are they going to tweak what she looks like and how she performs and the lightsaber that she has? All of the, basically, all the bells and whistles around the character is what I'm looking forward to most next week.
0: Okay, cool. For me, honestly, I'm just happy with Ahsoka. As long as we get her, I don't want any fake-out. I don't want to meet some random uh, Jedi that, like, just some bum or something like that i want to read i want to meet ahsoka specifically right uh
1: yeah that's what i want to see all right so that's the episode recap done and dusted when we come back we're going to run through the hottest news items of the past week and we're going to go off script
0: find out what common household item can kill you your family and everyone you love right after these commercials oh hell i'll just tell you
1: it's peaches Alright, so I've got three items. I don't know how many you've got, but I really want to kick off with the biggest news story of the past week, in my opinion, and that is Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel to Wonder Woman, is getting a release date on Christmas Day in both theatres and on HBO Max simultaneously in the US, which is just incredible for us in Canada it's going to be theatres only again we don't know what that looks like it's a little bit too soon with our lockdown right here in in Toronto and Ontario but yeah what is your you know I guess reaction because this is the first real major movie major comic book adaptation and I guess one of the most anticipated I guess sequels and just movies period of 2020 getting a release date both in the theatres and on streaming services. Honestly, I'm more surprised that they're able to pull it off because how did movie theaters feel
0: comfortable with essentially providing that option? If people have the option to stay home, I feel like they're going to stay home. Right. I would prefer if we had any streaming services, to be honest, but I don't know. I feel like this is going to be a big test to see kind of where they're going to go with this post coronavirus world of movie releases
1: yeah it's going to be interesting to see how the other studios who have like big budget movies basically just like in their pocket ready to release at a moment's notice like the 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 james bond movie we've got you know mcu movies just ready to rock and roll are they going to go down this path will they do a simultaneous release on disney plus and theaters or netflix and theaters or will they go one or the other or will they just wait so i think Hollywood in general is going to be so anxious to see the results of how Wonder Woman 1984 performs.
0: The big thing also is like, how do you even know if this thing kind of translates to pop culture the same way it would have if it was in movie theaters? Yeah. Over there, it's like, you see every single week it has an audience coming back for it. So it has a longer shelf life. Everybody's kind of watching it through the streaming service right now. Is it going to have that same impact? Is it going to be able to help kind of Build that DC franchise that they're kind of trying to like repair at this point. Yeah. I don't know. It
1: might be tough. One thing's for sure though, I'm actually hella excited. Like, I don't know how we're going to figure out a way to watch it here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will be in the theater. Again, we don't know what the situation is going to be like, but hey, we have a major movie to look forward to in a matter of weeks from now. So let's see what that looks like. Um, keeping on the theme though of streaming services. We spoke about The Queen's Gambit briefly, um, I think a week or two ago, it was my recommendation for people to watch. It's set a record as the most watched scripted limited series to date in the history of Netflix. 62 million member accounts have tuned into the show in the first 28 days according to the company, which is crazy to me because it tells you first of all, Netflix has a lot of subscribers, but it's a show that got great word of mouth. It yeah. kind of spread like wildfire. And it's not something that you need to think about committing to for three, four, five seasons. It is a limited series. It's like, hey, if you feel like watching something for a day and binge it, it's seven episodes. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. But what are your thoughts on you know a number like that with regards to a property like The Queen's Gambit? Period piece. You know, fiction about chess, not comic book adaptation or anything like that. What are your thoughts? I love it. I, like I said last week, I love the fact that it's an original
0: story. Even when you recommended it, I was, I'm already, like, it's on my list. It's the top of my list of what I'm going to watch next. I already know I'm going to watch it tonight, right when we finish uh, recording, editing, all this kind of stuff. But for me, the biggest thing that I kind of take away from it is it's interesting that a story that's original and, uh Kind of completely new can kind of have this kind of impact on a streaming services. And I hope the fact that something like this does happen kind of shows that they can invest into new storylines that are interesting and put them onto streaming services. It gives us a whole new medium of finding all these new stories, and I would love
1: to see them. And so the final one for me this week is Predator 5 has been green lit. Not much is known about the actual movie, although it's rumored to be set in the past. So for me, The original Predator starring Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of my top 10 favorite movies of the 80s. It's one of my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I think it's still the best Predator movie to date. Since the original Predator came out, we got Predator 2 in 1990, Predators in 2010, and The Predator in 2018. And then we had some Alien vs Predator movies as well. None of them can hold a light to the original movie with Arnold and so listen it's another predator movie i know a lot of people love you know these creature movies these sci-fi movies and characters living on let's see what they do but i guess listen i'll watch it just because it's a predator movie but your reaction your hype level i do care about a fifth predator movie heading into 2021 uh my hype level i'd say medium right
0: because on one side you know it's a kind of rehash of like an 80s movie and you never know how that's going to go. It could be terrible, it could be awesome, who knows. But on, on what I've been noticing recently, I feel like when they've been retreading these 80s properties, they've been kind of doing it pretty well these days. When we saw them take the Halloween franchise and kind of give it a whole new shot in the arm, I loved that new Halloween movie. I thought they did it really, really well. And I'd love to see something like that kind of continue with this, especially because they're continuing that, that storyline, like you said. They're not deviating so crazy with... The whole alien versus predator storyline, which I wasn't a big fan of in the first place, so I think it'll be cool to
1: see. I mean, if it's going to be set in the past, I guess technically it's a prequel, right? True. Yeah. So, like, I'm wondering, like, when they say it's set in the past, are they talking the 70s? Are they talking the 1800s? Are they talking medieval England? Like, I'm curious to see how far back in the past we're talking about here. All right. So, for my new storylines,
0: it's pretty much all related to Marvel uh just because we got so much marvel news this week we got deadpool 3 they finally found their writers it's supposed to still be rated r so that's kind of cool
1: any thoughts on that love it if, if they deviate from that path i think a lot of fans would have been really upset about it uh the next thing was black panther set to shoot in july
0: which means they finally figured out what they're going to do with the franchise after the passing of Chadwick Boseman. I really don't know where they're
1: going with this because it can go so many different directions. What are you hoping for? I guess I'm hoping for them to, to treat it as sensitively as they can and do a good job. I think this is going to be the big pre-production news story of 2021. Mm-hmm. Of all the movies that are set to be, you know, you know, that are set to start filming pretty soonish and that are going to have like a six months, you know, or rough, roughly six months shooting schedule like a big movie like Black Panther 2, so many things are going to come out, set reports, the mood, like, you know, all the reoccurring, you know, actors from the first movie coming back and having to deal with, you know, essentially their king, the lead character, not being there in terms of the actor playing uh, the Black Panther. So I'm very curious to see how this one plays out. How do you feel about them potentially? Like, I haven't heard any rumors about this, I have no
0: idea if it's going to happen, but let's say they had like a CGI version of Chadwick Boseman to kind of
1: complete that story just to see where we're going after that. Would you be okay with that? I'm not going to rule anything out right now. I'd like to think Disney in general just does a great job across the board. Like I can't really criticise much of what they do. So whatever route they end up going, I feel like they're going to do a good job. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for the time being. Let's see what the final product looks like though. I feel like we have to kind of go
0: into Marvel's shooting schedule because that for me is the big news story, especially with those last two items I just said. Let's just go through this, okay? So what they already have in post-production and completely finished, all right, this is the properties. WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and the Eternals. Those are all done. Insane. All right, that's just done. Next, currently shooting, we have Loki, Miss Marvel, Spider-Man 3, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, all set right there. And they're currently shooting. So there's about to be done any minute, Essentially, it's pretty soon. Uh, next, we know Thor Love and Thunder is going to start shooting in January in Australia. And that's supposed to be like their big Avengers kind of uh, take for this era, I guess, for now. And also we have She-Hulk and Moon Knight shooting in March. Black Panther, like I said, shooting in uh, July. Uh, Ant-Man shooting in 2021. Guardians shooting in 2021. Hawkeye and has a director and writers and apparently they're going to start shooting pretty soon too we don't know when but it seems like it's going to be pretty uh, relatively soon captain marvel has a director and a writer already but still no set date and blade is looking for its writers and like i mentioned deadpool already has its writers that's an exhausting list to go through
1: what do you even do with this franchise at this point so this is why i feel like the the big disney call in december is such an important one or something that i guess we're going to be talking about a lot uh, when we record that week's episode because there'll be a lot of news coming out of that call they have a lot in the can they're seeing what hbo max are doing with wonder woman it's going to be fascinating to see if disney plus pulls the trigger on a few of these that are in the can right and say hey you know what we're going to bypass a theater release and we're going to we're going to stick this on disney plus maybe they go the mulan route maybe it's going to be a premium add-on to your disney plus subscription where you got to pay Ten dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars, whatever the case may be, I think to it was watch 30, it. Thirty, which is I don't that don't know is a lot. Thirty is a lot. Thirty is a lot, right? Because I mean, what do you pay at the the movies? I pay like seven seven fifty for a movie ticket, and I'm watching it in the theater, in the, yeah. in, the in the cinema, to watch it at home on my TV. Thirty bucks. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that one. It's kind of a stretch, right? Yeah. And there's, there's a
0: lot of movies to kind of get through. And the biggest thing that I think about too is how do you even sustain that kind of buzz without releasing content, right? And also. Like, without kind of... How does it not feel stale at this point when we know Black Widow's been sitting there for a year and a half by the... Like, at the earliest that we're going to get it. So that's going to kind of be weird as well.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, I mean, these are unprecedented times, right? Like, I had no idea a week ago that we're going to be looking forward to Wonder Woman on a streaming service in December. So I guess... Hollywood is thinking about revenue streams and how theaters just, you know, a lot of theater chains are closed right now. So yeah. that's not even an option for them to release it in the theater and how long do they wait? You know, they have financial quarters and investors to report to and and all the rest of it. So again, the the Disney call on December 10th I've marked that in my calendar because it's going to be an important. That's no, going to be a big one. Big one, uh, yeah.
0: Out of these franchises and series, though, like what are you looking forward to the most?
1: Ooh, it's got to be the multiverse madness. Okay, nice. for me, like just to see if they do go all in on having multiple Spider Spider Mans from you know the other toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield get involved. Um, what this means long term for the MCU and and you know uh, you know if we can get to Secret Wars or something like that. That'd be so dope. Um, yeah,
0: for the, me, I feel like Thor: Love and Thunder is like the one I'm most excited about. Mm, I loved Ragnarok, right? And we're bringing back Taika Waititi for directing this one too. So I don't know. I, I expect this one to fully blow my mind.
1: Yep. All right. So with that being said, let's get wrecked and let's get out of here. What is your recommendation for this week?
0: All right. Bras' pick is the HBO series Barry. All right. Imagine you're serving in a war in the Middle East, but now you're back in America. And you became so good at killing people that you're not sure what what else to do so you become an assassin all right while on a mission you take an acting class at, just so you can get close to a target but then you get really into the acting class you kind of fall in love with the craft so you don't want to kind of give up being an assassin but you also want to pursue acting all right add various international gangs like chechnya and all this kind of stuff and barry's played by bill hader amazing cast with like Henry Winkler I couldn't stop binging this show it's the perfect
1: blend of drama comedy highly recommend it what's Sandu's pick okay so my pick this week is the Fresh Prince reunion you can stream it right now on HBO Max in the states if you're in Canada you can check it out on Crave and for everyone else around the world just check your local listings and figure it out but I watched it this past weekend I laughed and I cried a lot. Um, it, it was great to see, you know, characters and just, you know, all the actors from probably my favorite show as a kid growing up. Kind of like, you know, starting high school, being a teenager, coming home and watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air every week. You know, that run from like '90 90 to '96 was just, you know, on par with me kind of growing up and you know looking back and, and you know thing is with, with fresh prince it was always a show that even after it's run every time it would air again repeat episodes you'd just watch them and you'd laugh and you'd cry and you'd have a good time obviously you know the the one main you know actor that isn't available for the reunion is James Avery who played Uncle Phil he passed away in 2015 and you know there is a, a moment there where they talk about him and they they show the highlights and like yo if you were a fan of the show and you're checking out this reunion it's like it's gonna make you cry it's gonna make you well up and tear up so yeah i I think this is a a home run uh for, for hbo max it's their must see you know piece of content for november they've obviously got wonder woman 1984 locked in for december but yeah if you've got access to it check out the fresh prince reunion and that wraps up this week's show for everyone that's on social media you can check out us on facebook instagram and twitter we are at screen off script if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, give us a rate give us a review that always goes a long way in helping us get found on that platform and we'll be back again next week recapping mandalorian season two episode five where we're hoping to see for the very first time ahsoka tano rest in peace uncle phil take care